Tonight I'll be preaching from the book of James. James chapter 5. We're winding down on this epistle almost to the very end. James, a very sharp shooter. Says it just like it is. But we're in the book of James chapter 5. And I'll be reading verse number 16. James chapter 5 and verse 16. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Father, thank you once again for your precious word. Thank you for your love as well, dear Lord, that you would send your son to this earth to die on Calvary's cross so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for how you continually mold us and shape us into the image of your son. We ask for your special blessings as your word goes forth tonight, that you would use it to guide us into your will for our lives. Take full control. Give me the words you'll have me to say. I mean, in everything, you'll be well pleased. We want to love you more and please you. Thank you once again for your goodness towards us. And I pray that in everything that's done and said here tonight, that you will receive the honor and glory for you alone are worthy of it. Save some lost souls, stir the heart of every believer, and we'll thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You'll be seated. When we look around at our world, we continually see and observe that there are a variety of different issues that are causing major division among people. We see it happening via social issues, racial issues, economic issues, religious issues, political issues, and the list goes on and on. We are all too familiar with the impacts of political division, especially at this time in our nation's history. And all of these avenues by which division comes about, they ultimately result in tearing people apart. But yet, with all of this division, I'm here to say tonight, unreservedly, that the church of the living God is called to minister to all people. This is the scope of our stewardship. For those of us who name the name of Christ and who who have been incorporated into this uh, spiritual body called the church, God expects us to function in a world that is divided as a result of a variety of different factors, still with that in mind, to have the responsibility to reach people of all walks of life. 
God has entrusted gifts and opportunities to us that are to be used to minister to people irrespective of their circumstances. This desire to be a good steward, to be one that pleases God, ought to be the thrust of our ministry efforts. God has established that we minister through this local body, the New Testament church. It's the vehicle by which God has ordained that we further his kingdom on planet Earth. My friends, that is why, irrespective of what is going on, it is important that we prioritize the work of God. Amen? James, in this epistle, deals with the matter of stewardship in chapter 5. And by way of very quick and brief review, we noticed that in verse number 1 to 6, he deals with what I call the corruption of materialism. The fact that within the heart of man, there is this craving, this desire for more and more and more. And if we're not careful, the desire for things and more things can distract us from the proper stewardship that God expects us to have. Verse number 7 to 11 Still, with this mindset of stewardship in our hearts, he emphasizes the importance of having a Christ-centered mindset. He says, contrary to a desire for worldly things and more and more stuff, he says, let Christ be the focus. Let the fact that he is coming soon, let the fact that we desire his approval drive us in what we do. Look at verse number 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Verse number 8. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He says, Having Christ, as our focus. Recognizing that one of these days we're going to give an account for our stewardship, let that be our focus. Then in verse number 12, he deals with the aspect of having clean and sincere motives. Clean and sincere motives. That whatever we do, because Christ is our focus, let it be that we are concerned just not with our activity, but our attitude. That's why David the psalmist says in verse chapter in Psalm verse Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. We are not to just be concerned with uh, the things that we do, the things that others can see, but we ought to be concerned with the very thoughts and incentives and motives of our heart that God can see so clearly. And then in verses 13 to 19, which we are currently examining, still keeping the central theme of stewardship in our hearts and minds, James deals with the church that ministers, the church that's going to effectively 
deal with the divisions that exist in our world and still minister to people, people who might look different from us, people who might act different, people who might uh, just be of a different mindset, we still have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to reach them. How does a church manage to do that with such a divided world to deal with? Well, first of all, James emphasizes that each and every person who is a part of this spiritual body must embrace personal responsibility. Look at verse number 13. It says, is anyone among you afflicted? Let what? What's that pronoun there? Him. Great. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Let what? Him call for the elders of the church. There is an emphasis on personal responsibility. My friend, if a church is going to fulfill this great commission, each and every person must do his or her part. Personal responsibility. But it doesn't stop there. James says, along with personal responsibility, a church must be a place of reliance. A place of reliance. After all, we, a, a, we are a body of believers. And hence, in verse number 14, he continues on, and he says, let him call for the elders of the church, that's dependence, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse number 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. A church is a body of believers. We are all dependent on one another. Uh, the Apostle Paul speaks and expounds on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the body and, uh, likened to a body and the eye, the ear, the hand. We all have our role to play and we are all dependent on each other. If a church is going to minister effectively, there must be personal responsibility. There must be a place, it must be a place of reliance. But I want us to look at a third factor and aspect here tonight. That if a church is going to effectively minister, the individuals in that church must prioritize relationships relationships. And we're going to look at one aspect of this verse, number 16, as we think of the importance of relationships. Do you know that relationships are actually the glue that holds a church together? Relationships among people. And so they... James here in verse number 16 says, look at this. Confess your what? Your faults one to another. Hmm. Now when it comes to faults, we often think, well, that's between me and God. James says, confess your faults one to another. 
James understood that if a church is disconnected because of offenses, that church is not going to be successful and effective in reaching people. And so he says this matter of relationships ought to be a priority. We ought to recognize that it's important to deal with the issues that exist between us as members of the body of Christ. And so tonight I want to give you three benefits. Three things that happen when we confess our faults one to another that helps our relationships to thrive. Now, the first thing, you might say, why do I need to confess my faults to another person? First of all, jot this down. It clears the obstacle of pride. It clears the obstacle of pride. Now, let me tell you something. Pride is a huge problem for us as people. And I'm not talking about just us. I'm talking about humanity since the beginning of time. Since the Garden of Eden, pride is man's number one problem. Well, it's a, of course, well, sin. But sin manifests itself in pride. I want you to look at a few verses to understand how important this matter of pride is and why it is such a huge obstacle. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 2. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 2. Very familiar passage. And I could have read this and everybody would be familiar with the verse. But I want you to see it. Because it's where pride begins. All the ways of a man are what? Clean in his own eyes. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23. Proverbs 29 and verse 23. Look at how destructive pride is. And why it ought to be taken seriously. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Pride is an obstacle. It's an obstacle to relationships. And I want you to look at a few other verses because we must understand the seriousness of pride because pride hinders a right relationship with God. Now, let's look at how important this matter of confessing one's faults is. When you think of a relationship with God himself, and then we'll use that basis to help us to understand why the same thing applies in a relationship with other people. Now, look at Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. And you say, why, why is this matter of confessing? Why, why do I have to open my mouth and confess my fault to another person? Now, think of the importance of a right relationship with God as we read these verses. 
Leviticus chapter 5 and verse number 1, it says, And if a soul sin, and hear the voice of swearing, and it is a witness, and is a witness, whether he had seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of unclean beast, or carcass of unclean cattle, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, or if it be hidden from him, he, shall, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatever, whatsoever uncleanness it be, that a man shall be defiled without, and it be hid from him, whether he knoweth it of it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be, that a man shall pronounce with an oath, and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then shall he be guilty in one of these. Look at verse number five. And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall do what? Confess that he had sinned in that thing. Even things that he might not have even been aware of. God is saying, before you bring your offering, before you bring that sacrificial <clears throat> lamb, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you must first confess it. Articulate it. This is our relationship with God. Look at Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. And verse 5 to 7. Look at this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman commit, shall commit any sin that men commit, and do do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty, then they shall, what? confess their sin which they have done and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof and add it unto it the fifth part thereof and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. For the sake of time we won't read all these verses but in Psalm 32 jot this down verses 1 to 5 similarly there's an emphasis that if I'm going to renew a right relationship with God I must be willing to get rid of pride and to confess. And so the emphasis here is just as pride hinders a relationship with God, make no mistake about it, pride also hinders a right and good relationship with other people. It's important that when it comes to relationships with others, that we are mindful and conscious of detecting in ourselves when admitting our wrong is a problem. Because when we admit, when we recognize, first of all, that admitting our wrong is a problem, it ought to be a reminder to us that that's a sign of pride. And it's an obstacle that must be overcome. That's why James says, confess your faults. When you confess your faults, it clears the obstacle of pride. But notice the second thing that happens. 
When you confess your faults to another person, it shows concern for the other person. Now, in the context of James chapter 5, James is not saying that every fault that you have, you ought to need to go and spill everything. He's here talking about the aspect of offenses. He's talking about the issue of when a relationship is broken as a result of an offense. And so when a person confesses their fault to another, recognizing that I've hurt another person, it shows concern for the other. Particularly when one's actions would have hurt the other person. In order to go to another person and say, you know what? I really was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. It shows that that individual is thinking of the other person's feelings above their own. And that, my friend, is vital and important for good and healthy relationships. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31, we call it the golden rule, but Jesus speaking says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them what? Likewise. Let me give you a little hint. And we're talking about improving relationships. And I'm sure you would admit this. If you're in a relationship with a person and you believe that in this relationship the other person only thinks about themselves and not about you, mark it down, that relationship is going to be weak. And it's going to be weak to the point where eventually it may not either even survive. Because no relationship can be strong when one person only thinks about themselves. It can't. A good relationship is never only about one person. Relationships are about give and take. Thinking about the benefit of each other. <clears throat> Let me use an analogy. A good relationship is like banking. You have to deposit if you expect to be making withdrawals. If you don't deposit and you keep withdrawing, eventually, at any bank, you will get a message saying, insufficient funds. That's simple to understand, isn't it? You go to a bank and you keep going to the ATM and withdrawing and withdrawing and not putting anything. Eventually, there's going to be nothing to withdraw. You know, you know what I'm finding? That when it comes to relationships, some people expect you to be always the one to keep giving, 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 giving. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about some people expect you always to be the one to come up to them to say hello. Well, how about return the favor? You must always be the one to pick up the phone. You must always be the one. I mean, no relationship functions like that. You must always be the one to try to reconcile. You must always be the one to smooth everything over. No relationship can thrive like that, my friend. 
eventually, when you go to that relationship and you try to withdraw, you're going to get a message saying, insufficient concern. It does not work. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 says this, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of what? Edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here the Apostle Paul is giving advice that when it comes to a relationship, my friend, we must con be conscious of how what we do affects other people. In verse 32 of the same chapter, he says, And be ye, what? Kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. When it comes to this matter of relationship, in order for it to work and to thrive, there must be concern for the other person. And the beauty about that, when it comes to relationship, it simply means it's a two-way street. So James says, when it comes to this instruction of confessing your faults one to another, when you confess your faults, you clear the obstacle of pride. You show concern for the other person. And then finally, when you confess your faults one to another, it creates the opportunity for peacefulness. Peacefulness. You say, how is that? It's very simple. If you have offended a person, and that person is holding that thing against you, and the person is upset, and the person is bothered by that thing that you did, and what you did was wrong, you recognize that it's wrong, and you go to that person and you say with words, you articulate your wrong. You say, I was wrong. There is no excuse for it. Guess what? It'll be very difficult for the person to keep bringing up the same thing. You've already said you are wrong. It then removes that from you. Keep The person keeps saying it. Am I right? Absolutely. That is why admitting wrong is so powerful. It takes the power away from them. Keep bringing it up. Well, you already said it. Why are you repeating it? Or more charges? Well, I guess you might have to confess those too in case they stick. But, but, but this matter of, of bringing, creating an opportunity for peacefulness. Now, some people, I mean, no matter how much you say you're sorry, I mean, they're going to still hold it in their heart. Listen, that's on them. You can't do anything about that. So I remember, notice I said, it creates the opportunity Listen, some people, no matter what you say, they're out for blood. So, I mean, it's an opportunity for peacefulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. And coincidentally, we're having Lord's Supper. But look at this verse, which we'll see as well. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You hear what the Apostle Paul here is saying? Listen, if we judge our own selves, if we admit our own wrong, 
If we confess our own faults, then there's no need for anybody else to tell us. We've already said it. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, very familiar verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By confessing our faults, guess what? The obstacle is removed. There's admission. And here's what the power of confessing does. It now places the ball in the other person's court. They have a God-given responsibility now to recognize that you've confessed. And it's their responsibility. God holds them accountable now to forgive. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another. Get over this issue of pride. You know why pride is so unnecessary? We're not perfect. Neither are we expected to be. Neither have we fooled others into thinking that we are. So if we've done something inappropriate, we've done something that offended another person, there's no shame in saying, you know, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I should not have done that. It's a powerful response to help to strengthen relationships. James says, this thing called the church, it is often so fragmented, it's often so divided because people are disconnected because of offenses, because of relationships that no longer exist, relationships that are no longer strong. And when relationships are weak, then the church is weak and the church does not effectively minister to people. James says, a church that ministers is going to prioritize relationships and help them to be stronger so that we can work together for the benefit of building the kingdom.